Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Shout to the Top here on NLive Radio. I'm your host, Nick Patford, and today we're talking about the arts in Northamptonshire, how they've coped during lockdown and what the plans are for the future. To find out more, we'll be talking to Joe Gordon, the Chief Exec at the Royal Anderngate, and getting updates from Peter Smalley, Northamptonshire Music and Performing Arts Trust, Andrew Hewitt at NM Contemporary, and Les Patterson from 78 Thurngate. We'll hear from Jane Bunce about how the arts are helping with the redevelopment of the town centre, take a stroll to Delapray Abbey for a chat with Richard Clinton about their summer events, and end with Andrew Lua, MP for Northampton South, explaining how an arts-led economic recovery works. Welcome to Shout to the Top and my first guest, Joe Gordon. Joe is currently Chief Executive of the Royal Andurngate in Northampton, the core at Corby Cube and the Northampton Filmhouse. Uh, she's been a freelance arts marketing professional for 20 years with clients including the Royal Shakespeare Company, Oxford Playhouse and the Theatre Royal at Plymouth. Joe is a trustee of Northamptonshire Community Foundation and sits on the board of Britain's Best Surprise. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Right, let's get straight in with the Royal Gate. It's been over a year now since any live performances. So how have you coped? Gosh, yes. Where to start? Um, it, it's been quite a year, as you say. Um, we, I don't think, realised back on 18th of March 2020 when we got that call to say um, you're going to be you're going to be closed for a bit. We, we're closing you down, as the government did. We rather naively put these signs up around the theatre doors, which were see you after the interval. We were imagining, um, well, perhaps we'll be open by May, perhaps by June. Um, and of course, we're sitting here 13 months later, still having this conversation, excitedly looking towards opening, but having survived what has been quite a year, not just for us as a theatre, but for the, the theatre sector more, more broadly. I think we went from feeling quite overlooked early on when we saw um, lots of conversations happening about financial support packages for sport, for um, local authorities and things. We felt like the arts um, sector was a bit neglected, but there's been some extraordinary lobbying done by lots of brilliant people across our industry, high profile actors, um, those kind of producers, people like Andrew Lloyd Webber in London, who've really put a face to the impact that culture and the arts can have in places and what it means to lose that and so we've been brilliantly supported so that however you cope Nick is we've coped because we've had brilliant support we've had that support from local government from central government sorry even and also from the local authority in terms of funding support we've had the most extraordinary response from our audiences some of whom we've had to postpone or reschedule shows up to four times now. We've got one musical that we've moved four times that was due to be in May 2020 and has now moved on. And customers have come on that journey with us. You know, they've they've moved their tickets, they've hung on to their tickets, or they've said, you know what, I'll have a I'll have a gift voucher rather than a refund, you know, because I know that way I'm keeping the money in your business and I can keep supporting you in that way. Or sometimes, gosh, I know you're talking to Andrew Lure on the programme today, and that kind of importance of people lobbying the local MPs and lobbying local authorities to say we really value our theatre you know it's a it's a regional hub for us it's a cultural hub please support it and and that combined with the kind of outpouring of memories and importance that people place on on Roland Durngate and the core and Northampton Filmhouse locally it's been so has been so heartening so a, t- a tough time for sure but 
as you'll see, I'm trying to focus on the positive now. Yeah, tough time, Joe, for all of the arts, not just yourselves, of course. But I know that you've got some really exciting plans for the theatre. Um, can you talk us through the opening plans? Yes. Yeah, so we, um, with restrictions allowing, we are hoping to open on the 17th of May. So that will be socially distanced to start with, but we are going to open our royal auditoriums. And we've actually got a visit from the National Youth Theatre, who is a company that we really admire. They're doing absolutely brilliant work, um, young people and young adults, creating really exciting opportunities for those who are learning their craft, the future future stars of, of screen and stage. And we're having two, two performances from them in May, and that starts a strategic partnership with them. They're actually going to be welcoming about 800 young people to Northampton over the summer months, brilliantly in partnership with the university, who are supporting us with accommodation and meeting spaces and things, but kind of have this fantastic influx of young people to the town over the summer, learning from our brilliant team here learning building sets and creating costumes and what it means to be a stage manager and what it means to be a marketeer or working the box office so really really exciting perhaps most excitedly of our opening season are welcoming Rafe Fines to Northampton now Rafe has been one of those actors who throughout the pandemic has been really supportive particularly of regional theatre he understands for towns like Northampton, the importance of a theatre. And he wanted to create a show that he could tour to towns like ours to really celebrate regional theatres reopening. He, he knows what kind of clout that he has in terms of ticket buying. And he wanted to give it as his gift, really, to places up and down the country to come and join the theatre again. So Gosh, we've been working in with that show. It's actually a Made in Northampton production. Our artistic director has been working on the show, producing it in collaboration with Bath. And that could be here with us in June. On a socially distanced basis, there'll be 200 people a night in seeing Ray Fines on the Royal State. And then we start to open up a bit more broadly. So again, should the government guidelines stay as planned we're hoping that we will start to be able to relax social distancing later on in the summer and for the autumn and that means we can have a really packed autumn we've got lots of the big musicals we've got the graduations in we've got all kinds of things that we're kind of gosh so excited to have back in the venue in the, where it, where it belongs it's going to be a pretty streamlined and pretty safe experience for everybody we're really confident joe that, that's great i mean in terms of the the historical dimension to roland derngate i mean it's become one of the major producing theaters in the country and it's got a long fascinating history since it first opened its doors as the royal theater and opera house on the 5th of may 1884 with the production of uh, william shakespeare's 12th night so Joe, a lot has happened in the intervening 137 years, right? It's a big question, but can you give us a potted history of the theatre, please? Just um, So the Royal, as you say, opened in, in 1884 and as such, believe it or not, had more than 1,600 people in the Royal. So we currently seat 450 in there, but there was 1,600 people would absolutely cram standing in bench seating all kinds of things and it was a really really celebrated theatre of its time not just because of the shows it was putting on but because it's architecture and its royal status which was really important for the town at that point there was a rep company um so a group of actors and creatives who were resident at the theatre for a really long time the most most famous of whom is 
is Errol Flynn, and we talk about him in Northampton a fair bit, but lots of other extraordinary actors who learnt their craft in, in Northampton. And the Derngate arrived on the scene in, in 1983, when that was built and added to the complex. At that stage, they were two still very separate theatres, and it wasn't until 2005 that the two organisations merged together. So there was a big £15 million redevelopment in 2005, which saw Royal and Derngate come together. Really exciting redevelopment of the foyer spaces and the kind of re-celebration of the produce work that we do here. So some of our previous artistic directors have included Rupert Gould, Laurie Sansom, most recently James Dacre, but of course people who are regarded in such high esteem across the industry, both nationally and internationally now. Northampton's seen as that really exciting regional space where brilliant, brilliant work is created. And we still have our Victorian workshops and wardrobe and our paint frame, all of which are on the campus site at Royal Indergate. So seven productions a year which are being made for the Royal are all coming out of our workshops, our um, wardrobe um, and being created, hence the brand made in Northampton. And that's really exciting. Last year we were able to tour a number of those productions. We had four shows in the West End, um, including The Worst Witch, which started life as our one of our Christmas shows in the Royal and actually went on to win an Olivier Award last year, which we were absolutely thrilled. It's the first in, in the Royal's history. So to, to come away, we found out mid-pandemic that we'd won the Olivier Award for Best Family Show, which was just fantastic. But being able to take Northampton's brand to places like the West End, and we toured to more than 80 different venues across the country in that year as well. So really brilliant to be able to kind of celebrate all that not just Royal Indurngate, but that Northampton is doing on that on that kind of national scale. I'll be honest, Nick, that's one of the things we've missed the most, I think, as well, as well as the shows not going ahead. It's the buzz that there is normally around the building with all of those groups meeting every week. You know, 2,000 young people a week normally in this building, and we've just we've really missed them. We've missed that the energy and the life that they've brought to all of our spaces. In addition, you run the core at Corby Cube, again with support from the Arts Council England, and Corby Council as was. What are your plans there then, Joe? So um, the core opens in June. One of the fantastic things about um, the core's auditorium, um, being only 10 years old, is just how flexible it is. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful lyric theatre space in there, but actually it can go completely flat floor for a host of one night shows there's some comedy some music in there um, some family work um, some cabaret specifically but it's going to be in quite a different environment in there I think it's going to feel quite an exciting place to come and come and see a show the other thing about Corby is its spaces are already alive with people rehearsing there's lots of music workshops there's a lyric lyrical lockdown it's called which is a spoken word and rap music project that's going on with young people at the moment Corby is working with a couple of groups of women who are returners to work and um, perhaps after being caregivers or after COVID and not, not being in work and providing lots of kind of skills training and things. So there's a brilliant workshop. Nick, you have to oh, we'll have to do it at one stage, <laughs> but of kind of basically using stand-up skills to build your confidence to go into interview situations, and it's absolutely amazing how you know you go into a workshop feeling like the most the least confident perhaps person, and then uh, and the least person that might try stand-up, but they they use these really really clever skills with you to kind of boost your confidence and and turn interviews on their head so that you feel like you're interviewing them rather than rather than the other way around. Joe, we can't not talk about Northampton's most famous musical, Kinky Boots, 
I was in New York in 2018 and remember seeing it advertised on Broadway. And it's been a global success. But do you think Northampton as a town has made the most of it? Do you know what? It's one of my favourite moments in working the 12 years that I've worked here. Um, Brilliant. So Kinky Boots was going on a huge tour a few years ago. It was in 2018. And it was planning to open in a venue in the north of England. And our our programming director here was like, "Uh -uh, I'm not having that. This is a Northampton story. We are going to launch the tour here. And he made it his mission, badgered the producers. You know, we can do it in Northampton. There's no reason we can't do it in Northampton. We are just as a bigger scale as it was going to be the Manchester Opera House that it was supposed to open in. We worked our magic and they they launched the tour here in Northampton of Kinky Boots. It was a brand new cast. They went on to do a huge 52 date, I think it was, national tour after they'd been to us. And it was a really celebratory moment for Northampton. That the, the gala night that we had in the venue was something really special to see everybody relate to that story, to see themselves on the stage, to see the kind of their town represented so positively is fantastic. And gosh, they've been streaming that production that they filmed here to cinemas all over the country. Um, and it was one of the one of the joys of the pandemic was occasionally finding a you know, something like that being streamed again. And you got to got to reminisce about all that, all that brilliance. But you're so right, Nick, it's such an important story for Northampton and to have it on the, the West End Broadway and international scale is... Um, real testimony to to what a cracking musical it is actually well welcome back to shout to the top uh, i'm nick petford i'm talking about the arts in northamptonshire with joe gordon chief executive of royal and derngate now joe the northampton film house is a much loved independent cinema formerly the errol flynn film house is also under your domain so can you tell us about that and when that will reopen Yeah, we are hoping to reopen that in June. It's a bit of a complicated picture at the moment with what films are actually being released for distribution. Cinemas are excited to get back to serving their local communities, but there's an awful lot of films that are going straight to streaming platforms now. Um, And I think the cinema industry wants to kind of relaunch at a point. There are some, some really big titles coming out and gosh, we're excited to look ahead to the next Peter Rabbit and things like Bond and things which hopefully should really kickstart some of the the cinema life again excitingly for us just before we reopen the actual film houses themselves in June we're going to be running our drive-in cinema at Delapre again so this was a fantastic thing that we did last summer when we were still in lockdown but outdoor activity was permitted and gosh in the beautiful beautiful setting of Delapre Abbey we created a drive-in and had a fantastic response we had more than five and a half thousand people come and join over a couple of weeks to see movies in that setting snacks berries and popcorn delivered to deliver to your car and it was a real mix of kind of cheesy classics and some um, you know slightly more groundbreaking movies but it was so well received we've decided to, to try and make it an annual thing. Joe, just to change tack you've you've had a long background in marketing uh, in the arts working as, as your own boss so I'm interested in why you made the transition to a more corporate and possibly more constrained role as chief executive. Mm. Well, I it's interesting, isn't it? Because certainly in the arts sector, chief executives of venues tend to normally have gone through perhaps a finance or, or operational path, perhaps through being the CFO or ops director or something like that of a theatre. It's not not often that it comes from a, a, a marketing a marketing route. My argument for Northampton was I had spent 12 years here as marketing and sales director and my whole life had become about audiences. My whole working life, it was about who who are we for and why, What are, who are those communities we need to engage with, how do we do that? And 
I was really excited to bring that audience focus to that chief exec role because I think there's no more important question about who are we here for, what are we doing, why are we doing it? And certainly through the pandemic, that's become even more important to kind of understand our relevance going forward. We know what an important role we've got to play as we emerged from the pandemic. We know, hopefully, that there'll be a real re-emergence of that importance of local for people as their kind of travel habits and work habits have changed. And I think that sort of celebration of the local theatre, I think is really important. And that's something from a from an audience development and marketing perspective that you, sp- you spend a lot of time crafting and, and thinking about. So it was exciting for me to bring all of that into the chief exec role. I was here as in that marketing role under our chief executive, Martin Sutherland, my previous de- predecessor, yep. who, gosh, I learned so much from. He was an extraordinary teacher and man and kind of leader actually in terms of the theatre's role locally and I had a ringside seat for all of those those years that he was doing that so felt like I could could cherry pick the best of that and hopefully as I say bring this sort of new real community and audience focus to to the chief exec role. I don't know if it is more constrained I think I can still be quite creative in this role I do I do miss some of the kind of the more bonkers elements of marketing I miss going on photo shoots and you know we, we need to do the artwork for a show we need to come up with a concept you know let's brainstorm and there's, there's bits of that but gosh you have to be so creative in the kind of work we want to put on the stages how I support the programming team to program a venue like ours that is so complex that's both making work and bringing touring shows to us thinking about the shows that we're going to produce and what kinds of things we want to do and how to work and what extraordinary companies we want to bring to Northampton. So there are there is a huge amount of creativity in it still, even if I'm not on, on the firing line of some of those uh, more creative meetings and conversations. And Joe, you're an Arts Marketing Association mentor. So I guess that must introduce a, a different element to the, to the role as well as being CEO and also mum, a mum to two boys. So how's all of that worked out during lockdown for you? <laughs> How has it worked during lockdown? Well, I'm still saying just about. Um, yeah, homeschooling was was a real challenge, as you can imagine. We had about 95% of Royal and Derngate were on furlough at mm. one point or another during the pandemic. So there's been a really small core team working through that time and that's mirrored over in Corby as well. We had just the director working over there with everybody else on, on furlough and that furlough has been an absolute lifeline for us in in cost reduction and things but it has made for as you can imagine quite an intense period workload wise for everybody so yeah if you'd have asked me that some of the busiest moments while I was trying to lock down homeschool two boys and run this venue raise the necessary grant funding that we needed to to be able to survive have tricky conversations about that survival and that future I don't know. I don't know what answer you'd have got then about how it was working out. Um, But look, I'm a real advocate. One of the one of the things I took on as I took on the CEO role was to be really open about the fact I'm a mum. I'm I'm sort of not apologising for it. I I bring all that to the role. I bring all that energy and enthusiasm that I have to have an organisation and dogged determination and diplomacy and everything else I have to have in my my mum life to my role. And I try and encourage everybody that that works for me here to do the same, because I think we're all we are we need to draw on everything we have to fuel that excellence and our actions and to bring all of that into the organization we're better for it rather than sort of making excuses for it so I'm a big big advocate of um work-life balance and bringing our whole selves to work you know kind of uh, we we have a, a Monday morning meeting which is a chance for us as an organization to kind of reset for the week but it's also that chance to bring people's weekends into into work as well and understand a bit more about 
the craziness that we're all we're all juggling particularly at the moment so finally joe what's your song choice and why did you choose it so i have chosen seasons of love which is from the cast recording of rent so it is from a musical and i'm sorry about that i make no apologies that i've picked a musical theatre song but the song is all about a year a year in someone's life it's about how do you measure a year in the life and I just thought it was really poignant as we look back on the last year to think about the 525,600 hours that's been involved in that year and all the brutality and and joy that's that's come with it and it's a really uplifting song it was one of the first musicals that um, really lit a fire under me to know that I wanted to develop my career in the theatre so it felt like a good way to to end the interview and, and, and song to share with everybody today. That's great. Well, thanks, Joe. And I must say uh, good luck with it all. And uh, on a personal note, I'm looking forward to getting back on stage at the R&D alongside our esteemed Chancellor, the Reverend Richard Coles, in our party costumes to congratulate our successful students once again. Joe, thank you so much indeed. Thanks, Nick. Can't wait. My next guest on Shout to the Top is Peter Smalley, Chief Executive of Northamptonshire Music and Performing Arts Trust. Peter was head of the brass and percussion and deputy head at the Trust for 19 years before becoming chief executive in 2012. Uh, He's worked professionally as a musician, a conductor, arranger and a composer in the UK and in Europe. And in February 2020, he received an honorary fellowship from the University of Northampton for services to music education. Well, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. Great to have you again. Um, Can you tell us a bit about the Trust? How did it form and what are its aims more broadly? Well, the Trust's been in existence since 2012 when we became a charitable trust. But the origins of the music service go back now over 50 years, uh, right back to 1969 when it was formed as a local authority music service with the aim of supporting music in the schools of the county. The big change for us came in 2012 when when we left the county council. Uh, we stopped being a county, a county council service and became an independent charitable trust. And that big change came about because um, it was a time of uh, great austerity in local government, particularly here in Northamptonshire. And it was an honest attempt by the county council to help us find a sustainable future outside of the council at a time when when local authorities couldn't afford to keep their music services going. So we were one of um, several uh, services across the country which became independent charitable trusts and we were one of the first in the modern era to do that. Uh, It was something we did with the complete support of the county council helping us to find this sustainable future that would allow us to uh, thrive in the future. And it, it was very timely for us as well, because I think without it, we probably wouldn't be here today. Um, so we're, we're delighted that that change uh, came about. And it means that we're able to carry on now supporting pretty much all of the schools of the counties and their delivery of music education. We are the people who send teachers into schools to teach uh, musical instruments. If there's a child in this county having music lessons, somewhere in one of the schools it's probably one of our staff that's doing that and then outside of schools we have a a, a network of music centers spread across the county or at least we did before covid and they'll come back um, <laughs> but we're also the people who run the uh county bands and orchestras the county youth orchestra the county youth choir the county youth concert band they, they all come under our auspices 
Uh, and our job is to make sure that there are musical opportunities for children and young people throughout the county. Well, on that point, I mean, concerts and events are a fundamental aspect of what you do. So what have you got planned for this summer? Well, normally at this time, um, we'd be looking at a really scary concert diary, which was absolutely jam-packed to the gunnels with events and concerts between now um, and the end of the school year. This year, it's a little bit different, because although we've just been able to start face-to-face -face activity again, um, only last week, uh, we're still very limited to the number of uh, uh, young people that we can get together at any stage. We can't have more than 15 at the moment. And our opportunities for performance are, are still limited. We, we're going to be dependent on changes in government guidance, possibly from the 17th of May, that might change. And then later on in June, maybe uh, audiences are going to be allowed back to concerts and events. But we're not even able to have the rehearsals yet that uh, would lead up to those events. However, we've, we've got a particularly big weekend planned with Derngate. Um, I've got a booking at Derngate for the whole of the, the weekend, the 3rd and 4th of July. And although we don't know what we're going to do that weekend for certain sure, our aim is to bring all of the major groups together, possibly for the first time this year, so that the County Youth Orchestra gets an opportunity to meet each other and play in the same room rather than playing at home at the end of a Zoom call uh, or playing in small groups of 15. Uh, and the intention is maybe that will be the only time we get to play together this year, but we're going to do it. We may be then recording that to release it later. We may even be able to have a small audience, but it's so difficult to know at this stage because we're dependent on uh, the roadmap to recovery uh, keeping moving forwards and us keep hitting all the deadlines that we're allowed to hit. Well, that does sound exciting, Peter. So uh, good luck with all that, uh, that coming together. But like many of us, you've had to innovate and use IT to keep things moving. Uh, and you developed a product, uh, NM Positivity, which is uh, your digital response to sharing content online and keeping people involved with the trust uh, from a distance. So how is that working? And do you see this as perhaps an opportunity to extend your reach even more widely once things open up again? That's a really interesting question, because um, for the last 12 months, um, 13 months now, we, we've been absolutely focused on trying to get back to what we used to do, which is trying to get back to face-to-face -face activity. Uh, and there's no doubt that face-to-face um, -face activity is the thing that we need to do primarily, because music is a social activity. You make music together by bringing people to the same place and interacting. What we have learned though through this year is that the, the digital side of things has opened other possibilities for us. Um, NM Positivity came about because we wanted to stay in contact with our client base, with our young people, with the parents, with the schools. Uh, and it was the brand that we used to make sure that people were using music as part of uh, their, their health and well-being agenda. And just, just to keep them engaged in what we were doing. It was an awareness raising campaign. It was a, a health and well-being campaign for them as well. But most importantly, it was to keep people engaged in making music. So it was full of uh, resources and ideas and opportunities and challenges. And it was a way of staying in touch with people. Behind that, we were also uh, delivering lessons online. We started doing this during the first lockdown. We, we, we started at ground zero on this one. We knew nothing about how to do that. 
Uh, so our staff have upskilled themselves um, to an incredible degree. And uh, some of them are now doing amazing things online. And the interesting thing behind your question is we've discovered one or two things which are actually better delivered online than they are delivered face to face. And so essentially, we definitely will be keeping some things going um, in a digital environment. And this will also enable us to, to reach more people. Uh, perhaps the biggest example of, of what we've done online that we've never considered before is with the closure of all of our Saturday centres, we opened a virtual centre uh, which takes place online every Saturday morning um, and has been going since September. And, and that's been an absolute joy because we've, we've been able to reach people that otherwise we wouldn't have been seeing. But we've also got members who've joined us from as far away as Shetland, from Belfast and from Geneva. So uh, that's something which certainly wouldn't have happened pre-COVID. And we're looking for ways that we can hold those elements and blend them with the face-to-face -face activity that we're so desperate to get back to. Peter, you received a, a well-earned honorary fellowship from the University of Northampton early last year in recognition of your work in raising the musical aspirations of young people. Of course, uh, back in the Royal Undergate in early 2020, none of us knew then what was in store. So how has the trust coped over the past year or so? Well, I think it's re worth remembering how much this all took us by surprise, because Nick, I remember on that day, you and I, after the ceremony, were waiting for photographs to be taken and somebody came in to the to the room and was came to shake your hand and you said no I, I won't do that because I've just shaken a thousand people's hands and I haven't washed my hands yet that's right and I, I thought wow some people are taking this really seriously because even a month before we shut down I hadn't really understood how enormous this thing was going to be and then suddenly, a month later, we found ourselves in that first lockdown, schools closed, with no idea at all how, how society should respond to this. And I remember saying, well, I think that's just probably closed till Easter now. Little did I know which Easter I was talking about. I mean, yeah. certainly couldn't have imagined this was going to affect us so badly for a whole year. So it, it's had a really big impact on us here at the Music and Performing Arts Trust because the very thing we exist to do, which is bringing children and young people together from different communities, from different schools, we've not been able to do it. Uh, and even now, that's seen as one of the more dangerous things. That's why we are restricted in what we're allowed to do because we do bring children together from, from different backgrounds, from different bubbles. And that does risk the, the, the infection traveling from one part of the county to another. So I, I understand it, but it has been um, extremely difficult for us to lose the core purpose of what we do. But as I've been saying earlier, we, we found other ways of keeping going, other ways of uh, interacting with our client base. It's all been a very much a temporary thing with us waiting for the glorious day when we can bring a large number of people together to make music again. Short, shortly before lockdown, um, we were in Derngate for a performance of uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. We had two nights. The, the hall was absolutely rammed with parents and children. And it, it's almost unthinkable at the moment that we were able to do that within a week of the first lockdown. And it, it's hard to imagine when that sort of thing is going to be possible again, but it will be. And everything we're doing is sort of leading to the opportunity to do this again. For me personally, um, it's, been, it's been really 
interesting. Um, I'm originally from Birmingham. I only moved uh, into a flat in Northampton uh, at the time I became chief executive, and I seem to work solidly since then. But what I've discovered is that I, I live in a community, and uh, a community with a glorious countryside around it. I've done so much walking. Um, I've visited campus uh, probably nearly every day because it's on my standard walking route to and from Delapre Abbey. Um, and I've, I, the one thing I've really enjoyed is watching the seasons changed. Uh, I remember at the beginning of the first lockdown, I think we all experienced spring, possibly in a way many of us hadn't ever done before. Um, and that's been a real joy. So that's my, my personal take out of the uh, lockdown. And you just mentioned that you use the campus walkway, which is, of course, open to the public um, to, to take exercise and, uh, and to see the seasons change, as it were. Final question, what more do you think the university could or should be doing to help the trust in its aims and ambitions? Well, I think the, the important thing is for us to work ever more closely together. Uh, one of the things we lost last summer, we were going to do, um, going to do an event called Jazz at the Waterside. We were going to bring our county youth big band down and do a, a summer picnic. So we have to go back and revisit those plans and make sure that we're working together to enhance not only the work of the University of the Music and Performing Arts Trust, but just life here in Northampton and make sure that we, we are celebrating each other, building on each other's strengths and doing something for the community. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Work very well said, Peter. Look, um, many thanks. Uh, and I look forward to catching up uh, a performance soon, whether it's at the Roland Dungay or Jazz here on the Waterside. But thank you so much for your time. Well, Andrew Hewitt is an academic and artist who teaches practice and theory at the University of Northampton. He's also interim chair of NN Contemporary Art in Northampton. And he's my next guest. Uh, he's worked with public and professional arts organisations and galleries, nationally and internationally, including the Liverpool Biennial, the Venice Biennial, back at Utrecht and Smart Amsterdam, just to name a few. Andrew is also founding co-editor of Art and the Public Sphere Journal. Now, this is a cross-disciplinary publication that combines the study of arts, politics, geography, and is conducting the first Europe-wide study of how artistic practices, cultural institutions, and academic researchers interact in urban settings. Wow. Well, Andrew, welcome to Shout to the Top. Can you tell us a bit uh, about NN Contemporary Art and how it contributes to the cultural life of Northampton? Yeah, sure thing, Nick. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, um, visual art is the focus of what we do, although it's not just visual. It can take all sorts of different forms, as contemporary art can. It's a charity. I mean, we've been a charity since 2014. Uh, and interestingly, I suppose, for any listeners, uh, you, you wouldn't be aware, but um, it's an organisation with studio members. So we've got we've got studios in our buildings and they're the membership. And that's what the organisation is very much set up around the interests of. Importantly, as well as the members, we're also thinking about audiences in the town and the region. So we put on exhibitions. We've got a programme of exhibition making that is open to the public to show the best of what we think is contemporary art. And we try to do that for the, the people of Northamptonshire. In fact, I've just taken something from our vision document and it says to enrich the lives of people of Northamptonshire through the arts and to be a focal point and catalyst for creativity. So that's written into our constitution. That's what we try to live by. So arts is at the centre of it. Um, so, so whereas the museum, who are now next door to us, has a 
collection and I can't wait to get my eyes on those uh, that shoe collection yet again. The other side of us is Vulcan Works, which is very much a digital economy startup space. Between those pillars of cultural production in Northampton is NN and uh, we are for arts and culture. I understand that you've got a, a new home, not you personally, Andrew, this is NNR, uh, <laughs> 20, 24 Guildhall in the Cultural Court of Northampton. And the building is currently owned by West Northamptonshire Council. So what are the plans and when can we expect it to open? It's anytime soon. Uh, well, we're actually in the building now. And the, the big job for us, and it is a, quite a big job, is to start rebuilding space because it was uh, originally um i think the count the county council building uh, so we're going to have a very busy 12 months period uh looking to a re- for a reopening in spring 2022 when we should be open to the public but that won't stop us from our main aims which have just highlighted in terms of putting on good exhibitions or and and presenting artwork because while the space is being rebuilt and then is going to move next door to Vulcan Works and uh, use their spaces and so and we're also going to be developing off-site projects so we're going to see art in the public realm uh, and we're also going to be reaching out and exploring and I suppose connecting with the neighbourhood and the communities in Northampton who we are going to be working with in the future so it's very much outreach projects at the moment. Yeah the, the relocation because um, we were at number nine has been quite quite an enormous task and I, I can just take my hat off and a, and a big nod here to Ema Grant who is our Chief Executive Officer and our Artistic Director and she's been with us um, for over two years now but she's had such a job because she came into the, into the job when we knew this move was about to take place and so her work has very much been about fundraising and planning and then the move itself which as you know moving house is always a bit stressful but this certainly was it's it's a bigger building than we're in we've got um it's got five um i should say four floors and a basement so we're going to occupy the basement the ground floor and the first floor with the upper floors for future development um for maybe some other cultural organizations coming in we're going to have 26 studio spaces now that's up from four so you can imagine the impact it's going to have on us as an artistic organization so many more members so much more activity and energy as an organization so we're going to have a new membership which is terrific and I'm, i imagine that we're going to be inundated with interest uh, we also get um, a, a much bigger gallery space it's five times the space we had before so uh, and it's going to be uh, a space that we're going to invest in in terms of new technologies and uh, sound and uh, so we're going to be able to put on a lot of very ambitious new works that we bring into the town through that uh, there'll be a project space as well uh, artists tend to like to test their works uh, either making new works in a particular space or or testing them through exhibition making so we're going to have that type of facility we'll have an artist research space which is for our members but also for visiting artists and we'll have um, a multimedia production room where we were particularly around that is a new media which is certainly uh, of interest to to us as an organization it is new technologies and the arts uh, and on top of that, we're going to have this thing called a civic reading room and arts library. So very much this idea of public facing again. So uh, and also a shop as well. So it's going to be a terrific art centre, uh, the likes of which we've never seen in the town and possibly even in Northamptonshire. Well, it's all very exciting. What I should say is that we'll have the link to the website on the web on the on our NLive website as well. So we can cross correlate. So a big project. So where did the money come from? And perhaps as importantly, who are the partners in the project? Well, we've um, 
I mean, yeah, certainly, certainly work has been partnering. Um, that's where a lot of the activity, particularly for EMA and the board has been. So I, I guess our, our main funders uh, continue to be Arts Council England, uh, which if you uh, know where the, how the, the money go around works, it's uh, a lot of Arts Council funding comes directly from uh, taxation um, from the government, uh, but also through National Lottery. That's how that that goes to DCMS and then onto Arts Council. And so as an Arts Council organisation, we're, we're part of the National Portfolio Organisation, something that we got a couple of years ago. And that um, that allows us to bid for capital, capital monies and uh, core funding yearly. And that's terrific for us because we've been able to grow through that Arts Council support and we, we, we can bring in regular funding, we can pay staff, we can make sure that we've got enough money for a really good uh, exhibition programme and an education programme too. So certainly Arts Council is key to us um, and that's a core grant. We also get core grant from the council as well um, and that's uh, a large part of, of, of our income. But we're also all the time looking for funding from various different sources um, and the build itself, um, I think that the large figure that we got for that, we actually got £1.56 million pounds from SEMLEP, the South East Midlands Local uh, Enterprise. Uh, what's the piece for? Partnership. Uh, peace, peace partnership. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> uh, now, that, that they, had, uh, they had a particular initiative called Getting Building Fund. So we bid for that in partnership with Northampton Borough Council and got this, this massive amount of money. So it's, it's certainly SEMLEP is, is one of our key funders now and really important in terms of uh, supporting the building development, but also ideas are, around employability and uh, job creation, which SEMLEP are very much uh, key to. And that's what that's what we're very much interested in, in in our new formation now, is that we can actually employ people and we can train people. So um, SEMLEP, uh, also I should say the university has been super supportive of late and um, or Changemaker, as well because uh, they've actually supported us with with funds for training and we've got two students former students from from fine arts working in NN at the moment who are training to become curators so I, I think with any modern organization I, I guess you're pulling in bits of money from from various different sources um we've got our core business which was which we satisfied with um with our core grants, but we're all the time looking for new money. And I think probably the, the work of a contemporary chief, chief executive uh, like Ema is is all the time bidding uh, in order to help us to bring in the funds for the for the the other parts of the program, which is additional. Uh, not 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 as key to what we do, but you, you always need that bit more money in order to be be super ambitious. Uh, and I think in terms of the regeneration ideas that are, are floating around. Uh, Art galleries, I think, have always had a place to play in terms of ideas about regeneration, community engagement, local growth and regeneration. So I think together, all these critical partners like the university can help uh, NN to ask critical questions of what does a regeneration look like when it comes to placemaking? What does that really mean? And I think there's important research that we can be doing together. So how does an inspirational project like this, which is uh, breathing new artistic life into an historic building, complement your academic research in this area? Certainly, I'm, I'm certainly interested in the ways in which arts organisations are spaces where artists and designers and architects and uh, any cultural producer is very much interested in working with people and working 
with the community and working on the, on the particular sort of lo local issues uh, and local problematics. And I think my work over, over the past 22 years has, has been as an artist who works in the public realm on public commissions with councils, with commissioner organisations, with communities. It's that axis of, of activity, which is why I'm on the board, I suppose, at NN, why I'm interested in what NN can do. And that's reflected in my research, where I tend to, well, my current project, which is um, will begin uh, later this year, is a it's a large European project, I think you mentioned it at the beginning, Nick, which will see, uh, it's the first European-wide study on how art practices, cultural institutions and academics work together in urban settings. So we're going to be teaming up cultural institutions and academics from nine countries across Europe, and they're going to be visiting each other's spaces, doing mapping exercises, analysing the work of artists and designers in those cities and towns and learning from each other and ultimately publishing what we learn. And hopefully what we do learn will be inform and influence future work, but behaviours and policies of cultural institutions, maybe even local government, because what we're looking for is sort of best practice of, of how, how these creatives can, can work with communities and work in the public realm in order to generate positive spaces for the community to live there. Andrew, many thanks for that, the explanation, and uh, good luck with everything, the research project, and in particular with the, the new redevelopment for NN. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for the invite. Well, welcome back to Shout to the Top. You know, Les Patterson, uh, my next guest, came to Northampton to teach economics in 1979. Alongside teaching, he became a councillor and served uh, for a year as the mayor of Northampton. And in 1998, he co-founded with Keith and Maggie Barwell the Charles Rennie Macintosh House at 78 Durngate in Northampton's Cultural Quarter. And over the past 20 years, he's worked alongside the staff and the volunteers to make it one of the most popular places to visit in the county. Well, welcome, Les, to Shout to the Top uh, with this month's theme on the arts in Northamptonshire. Thanks, Nick, for inviting us. It's a pleasure. So, look, 78 Durngate, it all sounds a bit mysterious, especially to those from outside the area. So, Les, what is 78 Durngate? Well, basically, it's a historic house. It was uh, remodelled in 1917 by the famous architect Charles Rennie Mackintosh. And his client was a model maker, Wenman Joseph Bassett Lopes. He had uh, set up a factory in Northampton to uh, make model ships, engines. Uh, um, and basically, in 1998, we set up a trust to preserve the house. It had, it had been somewhat um, left unkempt. It had been just used as a residential house, offices, and the last uh, occupants were actually the high school for girls uh, who had moved to um, Hardingstone uh, on the outskirts of Northampton with a brand new building and sold off their land. And part of their portfolio of properties uh, were 82, 80 and 78 Durngate. And uh, the council acquired 78 and 80 and formed a trust uh, of which I became the secretary and Keith Barwell became the chairman. And together we um, went to the HLF cap in hand, uh, unsuccessful the first time. But then we were able to raise something like a million pounds to restore 78 Durngate uh, to how it looked in 1917 uh, when Bassett Lope got married to Florence Jones from the Crockett and Jones shoe manufacturers. And they um, 
set up their marital home there. Charles Ronnie McIntosh, of course, well-known Scottish architect, designer, artist, one of the leading lights in what is called the modern style, British Art Nouveau style. Who was Bassett Loke uh, and what was their relationship? Bassett Loke was actually a model maker. He started his company in 1898 and he imported at first models from Germany from a company called Bing and they were in kit form and he sold them through a catalogue and his company grew uh, so much so that he he had opened three shops one in Manchester one in Edinburgh one in London in Holborn and he was selling through those selling through the post I mean Amazon's not new and he was employing by 1917 500 people in the town a town of about 60,000 people so you can imagine that he held a lot of sway in the town definitely I mean in terms of developing the the project I mean fundraising is a critical part of the the trust activities um, I know that there's a, a centenary project set up to mark the uh, well the 100th anniversary of the house redesign but how's COVID impacted on fundraising we rely very much on people coming through the door and paying their, their entrance fee to see the house and have a good time and uh, clearly uh, that hasn't been happening so we've had to rely on grants from the, uh, government hlf local council uh, to keep us going over the covid period i mean we have online uh, donations and we we do have a really active friends organization as well but again they rely on subscriptions obviously we have about 300 members but also they do talks and uh, they raise money through those type of activities giving talks to groups so it's been hard for us to be honest but clearly we're anxious to to get back and open, and hopefully that will be there soon. The mission of the Trust is, amongst other things, to preserve the historical, architectural, the aesthetic and the constructional heritage of 78 Durngate for the benefit of the people of Northampton and the nation at large. And a key part of 78 Durngate is this archive that you've got. So, Les, what kind of things are in the archive? I mean, Bassett Lowe was a, a great amateur photographer. Um, and so we have a really good record of the house in that regard. Uh, but also we've got letters uh, from Bassett Lowe to uh, Charles Rennie McIntosh and vice versa. I don't think I've emphasised enough the fact that uh, this house is a transitional piece between the Art Nouveau and Art Deco, two of the main rooms in the house, the lounge hall and the guest bedroom, and they've been recreated. Those designs we would call Art Deco today, and they were called jazz then. Art Deco didn't come in until the 20s. So it predates uh, that And that's its significance. It really is a really significant piece of work. I mean, we do have people who come and do research on the house, uh, university students, and they use the uh, archive uh, to great effect, you know, for their thesis. The international significance of 78 Durngate was highlighted recently uh, as a cover story in the New York Times design section. What's the wider significance, Les, of the building and how far does the influence reach outside of Northamptonshire? Well, we're, we belong to an uh, organisation called Iconic Houses, um, which is an international organisation that brings together houses of the 20th century design. You know, so it, um, Bauhaus, uh, Brutalism, um, Art Deco. And uh, we are one of the, one of the major 
um, uh, players in that from England. Because uh, I think 78 Derngate, as I was saying, it's a transitional piece. It's recognised as uh, the first really uh, Art Deco design style uh, house, especially the rear elevation of the house. It's very linear, uh, geometric, um, and and modernist. So, uh, you know, why we're kind of the granddaddy of uh, of, um, of Art Deco. <laughs> well, look, we seem to be coming to the end of the the final lockdown we'll have in the UK. So, when when will you reopen, and what are your plans for the future? Well, we reopen on. May the 18th, uh, Boris allowing. So we should know that within a week or two. Uh, our restaurant will be opening in on, on June the 1st. Uh, so that, that's a little bit later. Uh, we will be open on um, May the 18th and people can book online. Uh, in terms of what we're going to do for the future, we have been fundraising to extend our visitor centre and recently uh, we put a plan and application in to um, buy some land at the back of us to increase the size of our garden. So, you know, we should become an even more attractive place to come and visit. Brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Les. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I certainly look forward to coming in and seeing you in the, in the not too distant future. Thanks very much. OK, thanks, Nick. It's a pleasure talking. Well, hello, I'm Nick Petford and welcome back to Shout to the Top. Our next guest is Jane Bunce. Jane was born in Yorkshire and trained as a, as a surveyor working in local authorities before joining the University of Northampton in 1995. Jane has played a number of key roles, including Director of Student and Academic Services, uh, and most recently as Academic Project Manager for the Waterside Campus until her retirement in 2019. Uh, she's currently on the board of Surprise Northamptonshire and is a trustee of the Royal and Erngate. Well, welcome, Jane. Thank you. Hello. Jane, can you explain what Northampton Surprise is and how it relates to the arts in Northamptonshire? Yes. Um, thank you. This was an initiative set up by David Lang when he was Lord Lieutenant, and he was very keen that the benefits and beauty and everything that Northamptonshire has got to offer was promoted properly to enhance the tourism and visitor strategy for the county. This beautiful county was keeping its light under a bushel and we wanted to promote all it had to offer to help everyone within the county and from outside to see what it, what the county can deliver. So the website was the big part of the project to set up a website and the website is under the banner Northamptonshire, Britain's Best Surprise and that includes all kinds of information for anybody locally wanting to go out in the county or for somebody from outside the county wanting to visit. It's very critical now that we are going to be let out soon. Where can we go? What can we see? What can we do when possibly we may not be able to go so far afield for holidays as we have done in the past? Information about the churches, information about parks, gardens, walks, market towns, everything there is to be seen and done in the county, you can check it out on that website. And that website is always up to date, kept up to date, and also has got information about what you can and cannot do now under the current restrictions. So currently on the website is where to visit in April, the top 20 outdoor attractions, and uh, it's worth a look. Uh, a lot of work and effort's gone into this, and it's a colorful and vibrant website. So hopefully it will encourage people to make the most of its be this beautiful county. 
That's brilliant. Thanks, Jen. And we'll put a link to the website actually on the NLive um, website. Great. That's so fantastic. We can, can make that link. Well, Northampton has received a government grant of £25 million to help with town centre regeneration. Uh, what led to that, Jane? And uh, will any of that go to the arts and to culture? Yes, well, it's, it's all part of a bigger strategy to regenerate Northampton town centre. And obviously, you only need to pay a visit to know that significant investment is going to be required to get the town centre back up on its feet. Uh, with the decline in the retail sector, uh, a whole number of schemes have been drawn up by the what was the Northampton Borough Council to redevelop the town centre with a more of a mixed-use economy. And this is not uh, only happening in Northampton, obviously. All town centres are having to revisit their plans. So the plan is to regenerate and reinvigorate the town centre. And there are a number of pots of money that the government has put forward which can be used or bid into, obviously it's a significant cost to regenerate a town centre where you're taking out shopping, so, you know, with no department stores in Northampton and wanting to replace that with things like places to live, places to work, places to eat and leisure facilities, as well as a reduced re retail offering. So there are two parts. There's the Future High Street Fund, which Northampton was successful in achieving an £8.4 million grant, which is very useful. And then the £25 million comes from the town investment planning process. And Northampton was secured that and was successful in that. And that really is down to a lot of hard work from the regeneration team that were at the Borough Council. So we have got a town development plan, which was drawn up in 2020. And that looks at a number of strands and about um, economic growth, building on the outstanding cultural and heritage of the town and lots of other strands and themes, which if you look at the plan, which you can find on the, presumably the West North Hans website now, clearly arts and culture are critical to a vibrant town centre. So the money coming in on specific projects, which will enhance that overall community build and feel of a place is, is very important. So the specific projects which involve the arts are 24 Guildhall Road, which is adjacent to the new museum. And that will be for NN11, the Contemporary Art Gallery on the ground floors with artist studios above. Attention to 78 Derngate for a centre for culture and learning. And also obviously money has already been invested in the new museum which will have opportunities for workshops, learning, school visits, as well as the exhibitions, which will be on show as soon as it's opening. And the Falcon Works, which is the other key factor in the town centre, supporting arts and culture, with 58 workshops, which are available for letting. So if you take everything together, the investment in the buildings, and some of that money is also being enhanced from the South East Midlands Local Enterprise Partnership, SEMLEP. It's really exciting, I think, that the town centre has this opportunity to start to become redeveloped. Joan, you mentioned uh, his, well, heritage and history. I mean, the town has a long history of leather manufacture and design. And this will be a theme, actually, for a whole later show on Shout to the Top. But for now, how can we use the history and heritage of leather to benefit the cultural quarter of the town? Um, I think the, the most important factor in relation to the heritage of leather will be within the new Northampton um, Museum, which has had 
a significant investment and complete facelift and redevelopment. I did get in just before, oh, it must have been 18 months ago, just before the first lockdown to have a look around. And obviously the, it, it's looking great and it's a shame it hasn't been able to be opened yet, but there is a, a fantastic space linked to the shoe collection. And the shoe collection in the museum is unique. It's a national shoe collection and is really great because it provides a support, a source of research for students, students at the university, for designers, national designers, and anyone who's got any interesting in, interest in shoe design. So that, that's a real plus for the town. There is still obviously some of the buildings that were associated with the shoe manufacturing although there's less to see in that respect now than there used to be. The town is still, in terms of its economy, benefiting from everything in relation to the luxury end of the shoe manufacturing business. So the culture is there in relation to the shoe and leather industry, building on the heritage. But the great thing is you can see it moving into the future and how that's creating economic growth. Joan, you played a key role in, in getting the university from the outskirts of Northampton smack into the town centre. And one of the ideas there was to get more interaction between the university and the town. So what role do you think the university plays in the arts in Northamptonshire? And is there anything more that we could be doing? I think the university is embedded now within that. There is a cultural strategy, which is part of the overall strategic development of the town centre. And I'm aware that members of staff from the university are involved in that. There is a liaison with the National Youth Theatre about to start, which will involve the university's accommodation for their students who will be working with the Royal and Gates. So that, that's a fantastic opportunity of using the university estate. The students of the university can have all the access to the facilities in the new museum and the access to the resources there as part of their research and design and of course, we've been very lucky that the heritage has led to the development of the tannery, the training tannery on the university campus as part of the student provision. I think what for me strikes me is that how much the people of the university, the staff particularly, are involved in reaching out and being part of these strategies and initiatives in the town centre. In a way, possibly we weren't in the past. Um, our art students and art staff in supporting strategies and initiatives within the town. Uh, really exciting, Jane. Lots going on, lots to look forward to. So uh, good luck with your work for the town and for the arts more generally. Uh, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Welcome back to Shout to the Top. I'm joined now by Richard Clinton, the chief exec of Delapre Abbey. Richard started his career in live music as part of a team leading to the reopening of the iconic Roadmender in Northampton during the heyday of uh, UK's indie music scene. This was followed by a stint at the University of Northampton Students' Union and more recently operations and customer care director for the Culture Trust in Luton. In 2020, he became chief executive of Delapre Abbey Preservation Trust with the task of engaging new audiences and driving the next phase of restoration. Richard, you started your new role with high hope several weeks into the first national lockdown last March. So what has that done to your plans and when will you reopen? Well, yeah, that, that start to my, my tenure as chief exec here was an interesting one, uh, part of a head in, in still in Luton with the Culture Trust and part with Delapri Abbey Preservation Trust. And, and it, we had high hopes for those early days, which were obviously squashed with, with 
the, the impact of COVID. And so it really changed from a sort of a change management plan to a, a crisis management plan in, in that first phase and just connecting, keeping trustees focused on where we were, but just connecting with stakeholders who, who could be sources of, of fundraising and keeping our, our staff and our volunteer team engaged during a time where we couldn't move anything forward. I mean, this will be the third time we will have reopened. So we've become a bit of a, a master of the reopening project plan. So we've dusted that back off. And so we, we reopened first of all in August last year and then in uh, December again since the November shutdown. And it's um, we've managed to do quite a lot. It's, it's that year of COVID has allowed us to, to reflect and we're seeing it almost as a bit of a gift because it's very rare you'll get a chance to almost pause an organisation and to take stock. And so in that year, as well as making some tweaks to the layout, improving our, our offer for, for the customers that will come back to us, we've also been developing our new strategic vision. And so we spent a lot of time engaging staff, volunteers, stakeholders, colleagues across the sector to, to really get a sense of where we wanted to be. And so I'm feeling really pleased that, you know, in May and June, we'll launch our new, new strategic plan as we reopen to the public. So it's, uh, it's gonna be an exciting few weeks and months ahead. The Abbey has been under restoration for many years with funding from Northampton Borough Council, as was, and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. It's now finished. So what can we expect to see? Phase one of restoration finished in, in 2018, which um, you know painstakingly restored uh, and preserved and, and promoted the, the fabric of the building and put much thought into the interpretation engagement. So you've got the very hands-on experience of the, the, the battlefield, which is perfect for young people. And then we've got more of the curiosity and uh, inquisitive style of interpretation across what are the Bouvery rooms telling the, the stories of the Tates, the Bouveries who used to be the, the former owners of, of the Abbey. But it, it's not going to stop there. We, we very much see that we've got another sort of 10, 20, 25 years of, of work to really bring it all together. So we've got a couple of projects that are, are gaining momentum now. We've been successful with uh, funding from Architectural Heritage Fund to progress uh, feasibility around the 19th century stables, which for those that know the Abbey is, is, is to the left of the main house. And that will offer opportunities uh, to engage uh, commercial employer employment spaces and, and offer some retail as well, but then anchoring some of our wellbeing partner to, to create quite a nice mix of uh, uses and activity, which will draw more footfall to the site. And then as well as that, we've got the, the lodge at the bottom of the drive, which, which we're looking to restore, which offers which could offer some sort of unique heritage accommodation for those people looking to visit Northampton. And then we've got, um, we really want to work with the Battlefield Society as well. One, one of the things which is, is most disappointing when you drive up to the Abbey is, is the amount of people engaging with it is increasing. That's brilliant. But we're not doing enough to promote actually what was one of the most significant battles in, in our country's history, that the Battle of Northampton was, was based right in front of the Abbey. You can still see the ridge and the furrows. And we've got a lot more work to do to promote that. So as people are coming here for whether it's a walk or coming for a, a takeaway coffee, we want them to be able to have that chance to to understand the, the relevance and, and the significance of, of this site here 
in Northampton and it's, it's really unique. There's probably only a, one other sites like it within the country, which is Round Hay Park in Leeds, where you've got this mass 550 acres of parkland with, with a form of battlefield and a heritage asset, which is so close to the town centre. You know, we are, what I love about it is you don't have to travel out to, to the rural countryside to experience this. This is accessible. It's you know right within that that urban nucleus of, of Delapree and Bryhill and Far Cotton. Well, for listeners who might not know, the Abbey is just next door to the University of Northampton Waterside campus, and the battle was fought on land, which is now part of the university estate. And that was something our historians were interested in. But Richard, can you tell us about uh, the projects you're working on currently with the university? Yeah, and it's brilliant to, to have the university as neighbours. And one of the first things I, I pitched to the trustees was how we need to develop that partnership and, and create you know, the, the student experiences. Might be a, a, a bit biased about that with, with a sort of a hat on as a trustee for the students' union. But I just think we have such a wonderful uh, asset to offer as part of that student experience programme. So we've got um, one project which is underway, which is a, a project looking at um, improving access to active lifestyles and looking at how signage uh, can help. So there's a, a three kilometre track um, which has been uh, marked out with counters. And this is done with Dr. Declan Ryan. And so seeing how many people use the three kilometre uh, route and then we'll be assessing how many people use it. And hopefully we see, see a big increase in that once we introduce signage. And so that started now and we'll start to see the signage go in um, once we've got the benchmark data. And then we're really proud and delighted that we were awarded uh, the full award for the Thriving Communities Fund bid, which was supported by Arts Council and the Thriving Communities Places Centre. And that's working with the university providing the um, evaluation and the evidence for the work that we'll be doing. And so we've got the Leisure Trust, Watson Theatre, Action for Happiness and the university all working together to raise awareness of social prescribing. And then through a period of community co-creation, we'll be developing a programme of wellbeing activities. And, and again, Dr. Declan Ryan and, and, and Mary will be looking to evaluate and so we can at the end of the, the program show the impact that we've made because that's important for when we go out to to seek funding again. I mean, volunteering is an important aspect of the good running of the Abbey so how can people find out more about ways to help you? Yeah we're, we're really fortunate we have a, a volunteer team of 125 volunteers who we've currently got engaged and the volunteering opportunities are really broad from it's not just about whether you want to be a tour guide or a welcome host. We've got volunteers who support with events, with weddings. We've got volunteers who help us with admin tasks, with marketing. Uh, and we've got volunteers that help us with horticulture activities and maintenance. It's really quite broad and, you know, use this as an opportunity to, to thank all those fantastic volunteers that we've got. But for those who are interested and, and want to be part of, of the, the volunteer team, uh, they can have a look at the um, Get Involved page on our website or they can email info at delapreabbey.org and our fantastic volunteer manager, Barbara, will be um, more than happy to uh, meet them and discuss what opportunities exist. Well, Richard, many thanks. And for listeners interested in helping as volunteers, there's a link to the Abbey website from our NLive Shout to the Top webpage. 
So the last guest on Shout to the Top is Andrew Lua. Andrew is the Member of Parliament for Northampton South, having gained the seat in the 2017 general election. Uh, before that, he was a member of the European Parliament for the East Midlands. Andrew studied history at the University of Newcastle and worked in publishing before entering politics. One of his key interests is culture and heritage and how they can help with economic regeneration and growth. Well, Andrew, welcome to a Shout to the Top. As an MEP, you specialise in culture, education and regional development. Now, here in Northampton, the cultural sector has a key role to play in leading the revival of the town post-COVID. But what is a culture-led recovery and how does it work in practice? Yes, and thanks for the uh, invitation. It's, it's uh, great to be here. And uh, as you say, culture and education sort of intermeshed have been uh, very big part of, of, of my time uh, in politics but back as a back as a as a council leader I sort of uh, managed to, to combine uh, being a university governor with being my own uh, cabinet member for culture um, and then that uh, went through into my time as, a, as an MEP as well. I mean in one sense it very basically makes sense that the, the, the fastest growing economic sector in the country for many years and one that weathered economic downturns over the last 20 or 30 years better than any other sector as well was the uh, the, the cultural sector uh, and it therefore makes sense just as a simple investment but but it but it goes beyond that in terms of the enrichment it provides in non-material terms to the places that embrace it as well and there is a huge untapped potential in Northampton for that, I mean, obviously, with the university and its growth and uh, its consolidation, the much bigger profile it has across the town, much more part of the of the fabric, part of something people much more heavily associate with Northampton nowadays. But also the other assets that we've got. What this blends with is the growing realization that when it comes to town centres, the days of everybody piling into town on a Saturday afternoon for shopping is not so much what the town centre's about now as a destination, a place to go where there are things to do and things to see, and a statement of, of what the place is and what the place means to you and what you can derive from it culturally, rather than simply a place where you go when you need to get some things. I mean, you've previously worked on arts and heritage projects, notably in the Derwent Valley Mills World Heritage Site in Derbyshire. So what lessons can we learn more specifically, do you think, in relation to plans for Northampton? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. I was uh, the chairman of the UNESCO World Heritage Site there, and it was industrial heritage, which again is, is, is much of Northampton's heritage. It has a, a great medieval history. It has a very interesting um, non-conformist religious history as well. But away from Northampton, what most people who aren't necessarily great experts on the town will say, if you say Northampton, is, is, is shoes, is, is yep. industry, uh, leather industry. And uh, that was very similar with the Derwent Valley because that was the birth, the place that saw the birth of the modern factory system and utilising the, the river there for water power for um, the textile industry. And given that most people's family backgrounds tend to reflect the history of the country in the sense that people came from the land and from agriculture into factories of whatever kind, car industry, electrical industry, textile industry, shoe industry, what, what, whatever it is. 
there's that connection to people of, oh, my granddad did this or my grandparents or my ancestors did this to get them interested. And we've got a lot to offer in Northampton with that and a bit of a niche because there's a huge number of places that have textile history uh, and gen general engineering history. But we've got something a bit more different and specific to offer, but also something that connects to the contemporary and to the modern as well. So the two things fuse really, really well. I mean, that, that's the vision. I mean, in terms of the practicalities, it's really about making sure that all the different cultural attractions in a town communicate with one another and, and feed off one another to produce a sort of overall offer rather than just specific things that specific people may or may not be interested in. That was certainly one of the experiences that I gained from the World Heritage Site. Again, sort of practicalities of making applications, making funding applications, making government funding pots work for you rather than the other way around. So making and bending and melding them into what you want to achieve is the other lesson from those years. And certainly with the Northampton Forward Board and some of the money around at the moment, that's a very key lesson that, that I think, uh, or not just myself, but all of Northampton Forward seem to have, uh, have taken on board and, and have created quite a buzz over. And looking more widely, I mean, how do you see the UK art scene playing out internationally as we recover from COVID? In some senses, too soon to tell for sure. What I think will be important for, for the UK is that soft power has been very much Britain's strong point for a very, very long time. I mean, it's usually number two behind the USA in terms of soft power, way ahead of countries that have much larger economies nowadays, like Japan and and China. So we need to keep hold of that and harness it, bearing in mind what I said earlier about it being the most resilient and fastest growing um, economic uh, sector as well. One thing that is, is generally a cause for celebration, but makes it quite hard to define it now, is just how diverse the UK art scene is and what it actually means. There's obviously the traditional art scene that people have in mind, but, but it's so varied now. It's so much more diverse. And I think we're capturing a, a good element of that in Northampton through things like the uh, NN Contemporary Art Gallery. Yep. Again, lots of opportunities for the university to sort of make the most of, of, of that opportunity and make it even better than, than it already is. There is the theatre, but then there's, um, there's Delapray and some more sort of conventionally relaxed uh, cultural activities for people to do as well. So very interesting time ahead for the art scene and for the UK's role in it worldwide. But culture usually thrives on sort of um, creativity and dissonance. And I think it's a very good example of a dissonant period at the moment with the sheer disruption to everybody's lives and patterns that we've seen over the last 12, 15 months. Agree absolutely with that. But on a personal note, Andrew, so what have you been doing to keep yourself busy during lockdown? Well, lockdown has ended up being, by some considerable margin, the busiest period for me as a, a member of parliament, but very different than the previous period, which was all about Brexit and parliamentary drama and Mr Speaker and the government not having a majority and what have you. And that was all sort of very, very sort of bubble drama. Since the, the start of the pandemic, it's been a much more serious, less dramatic, but in a sense, more important sort of work of just a sheer volume of constituents that have needed help, that have needed signposting, that have needed um, advice in terms of how to try and keep themselves and their families' heads above water, 
how to um, uh, cope with the uh, mental health pressures, the economic pressures, the physical health pressures, obviously, of uh, a pandemic. And just by way of illustration, when the, the first full lockdown took full effect, uh, end of March uh, last year, uh, the month of April, we ended up opening 435 new cases uh, as a constituency office. And I had had a fairly high degree of confidence that that would be the, the largest number ever. We're always very busy as an office because it's an urban seat, lot, lots of challenges. But we actually managed to exceed that in January with the second huge lockdown, the, the, the trauma of primary schools opening for one day and closing and what have you. And we just tipped over the 500 mark that month. So it's been a phenomenally busy work period on a very personal and individual constituency level. But I think we've tried our best to direct everybody in the right sort of direction. We sometimes had to make a few decisions when we get a, a lot of what I call campaign posts about generalized issues. We've tried our best to reply to people's generalized specific, uh, generalized non-specific political concerns. But we've taken the decision that when people got in touch with us with specific problems relating to them and their family and their finances and their health, we've tried to focus in on those first. And as I say, there have been a phenomenal number of them. Andrew, many thanks for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. Well, I think we can look forward to a great lineup of arts events here in Northamptonshire this summer. The theme next month is fashion, where I'm joined in the run-up to Graduate Fashion Week by special guest Gavin Douglas, senior lecturer here at the university and trustee of the Graduate Fashion Foundation. So remember, wherever you are in the UK or in the South Pacific, it's gonna be high.